And that's not Paul's point. Now, we want to be very careful. We want to walk very, very carefully. We agree that the central truths of the gospel are laid out here. Unquestionably. But that is not all there is to the proclamation of the gospel. In other words, men must repent of their sins. Why? Because this is all about sin. Look at verse 3. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Sins. And that's why we must change our mind. That's why we must repent and believe the gospel. We are declaring the good news of the death and resurrection of our Lord and calling men to Him. Jesus declared these truths about His death and resurrection regularly. Matthew chapter 20 verse 18 says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and to the scribes and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. And brethren, he told them this over and over. Read the Gospels. He didn't say this once. If I understand a proper harmony of the Gospels, and I may not, there's always argument among those exactly how the chronology lays out. But if I understand this correctly, at least three times, he said these words. I will die. I will be raised again. I will die. He never just said, I'll die. I'll die and be raised again. After his resurrection, he commissioned these truths, his death and his resurrection, to be preached. But listen how he said it. And this is finally the point that I've been building to. He said, Thus it is written, and thus it behoves Christ to suffer his death and arise the third day. He doesn't say, Now just go out and tell people that. And tell them that God loves them. And tell them if they'll believe that. Everything's all right. He says in Luke 24, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations. This is the message. His death, His resurrection, and calling men to repent and believe on Him for the remission of sin. He doesn't even mention believing here. Shall we say that gospel preaching shouldn't mention believing? No. Of course not. Because this wasn't to be a complete exposition of all that is to be said. We have to take all the Scriptures and see how it was presented. But this is the message to take into all the nations. Repent for the remission of sins. Believe on the crucified and risen Savior. 
Now the death and resurrection here then, as Paul lays them out for us in 1 Corinthians, are a summary of gospel truth, behind which stands a great amount of Scripture. When Paul went from town to town, he didn't just say, there was a man named Jesus, he died, he rose again, that's my gospel. That isn't what he's meaning. He went into towns and he taught for a year and a half, two years. He explained, he taught. There are many people that stop with the gospel in Acts chapter 16 where he speaks to the Philippian jailer, where he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They stop right there. But it says, then they went down to his house and preached Jesus. He explained some things to them. And he explained them so clearly and the Holy Spirit made it so powerful that his whole house was baptized. Why were they baptized? Because they believed the message. They repented of their sins for the remission of sins, believing the crucified and risen Savior. In this context, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is not attempting to give his readers a lesson in how to present the gospel. He's not trying to give them a... All right, now when you go from town to town to town, you know, uh, this is Paul's evangelism explosion. No, he is bringing the, the Corinthians back to ground level and saying, I preached you a gospel. I preached the gospel to you. It's about the crucified Savior. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Old Testament Scriptures pointed to Him over and over. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and we could go through myriads of passages that pointed to His death and later also His resurrection. Then the Apostle declares these fundamental truths to display the essential and vital role of resurrection and then spends the rest of the chapter talking about the resurrection because his gospel hung on the resurrection. To simply say that this is the only two things we need to say to people would be as unbalanced as it would be for us to say that when Paul said, I determined to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that you don't have to preach the resurrection. Paul says, I didn't want to know anything among you other than Christ and Him crucified. Now, do you honestly believe he didn't tell them that there was a resurrection? You really think that he stopped and just said he died for sins? Believe that. Of course not. That was in the second chapter of this epistle. Now it points out the vital role of the resurrection. If all he was wanted to know was Christ crucified, why spend all of these verses, 58 of them, on the issues regarding the resurrection? Well, we would be just as unbalanced if we went to Acts 26.20 and said, now this is all there is to the preaching of Paul. 
where he said, I showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now, is that all that he said? Do you really believe that Paul went in all of these places and just said, repent and do works meet for repentance? That sounds a little legalistic, doesn't it? What good news is there in that? I'm a sinner struggling with my sin. Good. Repent and do good works. What God? There's nothing good news about that. No, these are abbreviations that point to the gospel truths. They're not intended to be full expositions of all that they said. He doesn't even mention believing here. And of course, believing was central to what Paul preached. Believe the message. Well, Let's press on to these final thoughts. What we have then as the very foundation and structure of the gospel that Paul preached was the death of Christ first. He tells the Corinthians here in verse 3, I delivered unto you. I brought to you, first of all, that which I also received. I received this information. I believed this truth. I believed on Christ. And that I called you to believe on Christ. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Brethren, what good news to know that God so loved that He gave His Son This is what giving means. He gave Him to die upon the cross of Calvary in the place of His people. Brethren, the death of Christ reveals the awfulness of sin. The brutal way that they treated Him, the torture He underwent, the beating and the spitting and the mocking. What is all this saying? Well, uh, we could all go to the movie that everyone's going to now and sit and say, oh, this is so sad. And this is what many people are saying. They're coming out and just saying, oh, that's, I was just so sad. I cried. He just underwent so much. Why did he undergo so much? Because God hates sin. God hates sin. And he brutalized his son. pouring out His fury and His wrath and His righteous judgment upon Him. The cross shows us that God hates sin. Secondly, the death of the cross reveals the holiness and the justice of God. He cannot receive us as wicked sinners into heaven. We must be perfectly righteous. So God in His mercy and in His hatred for sin finished His judgment in His Holy Son. His holiness was satisfied. Every blow that came to Christ's face, every time the lashes cut across His back, as He hung there upon that cross 
with the thorns beaten into his brow. We are seeing the holiness of God. The holiness of God and his justice poured out on Christ's body. Thirdly, the death of Christ reveals the love of God. It is in that gory scene, in those rivers of blood, that we see not only his hatred for sin and his justice satisfied, but his love in giving Christ as our substitute. That is good news. And it doesn't stop there. It says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul follows Christ's atoning sacrifice and showing us here that the resurrection of Christ reveals that God has received Christ's sacrifice. When he raised him from the dead, brethren, this was a glorious announcement that the sacrifice had been received. That's good news. In the courts of heaven, no matter how wicked and sinful you are, you may come and believe on the risen Savior. Not just on the crucified Savior, but on the resurrected living Savior. And God will receive you because He has borne all the penalty for all of the sins of all of His people and raised Him on the third day to declare that He received that sacrifice. Secondly, the resurrection of Christ reveals that believing sinners will be resurrected too. He said, I'm life. I'm here that you will have life and have it more abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life because I live. You will live also. That's good news. That's a gospel. And it even goes on to tell us that there were witnesses. Verse 5, And that he was seen of Cephas, that is Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Brethren, this is historical as well as doctrinal truth. We are not bringing men fairy tales or fiction. We have an event that was seen by all of these. We have eyewitness testimony that Jesus Christ is in fact the resurrected Savior. They saw Him. They heard Him. And they touched Him. Turn with me to Acts 13. Just a few more thoughts. Acts 13. Let's see then how this plays out in the preaching of the Gospel. Acts 13, verse 22. Paul begins standing in a synagogue, preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He starts off by giving a history of Israel. He stands before his 
his Jewish brethren and he gives a glorious summary of the Old Testament scriptures. And then he says in verse 32, And when he, God, had removed him, that's Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. And that's what he's just built his whole argument in this passage on. According to the Scriptures, the promises of God. Then he says, When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet are not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this, the word of this, this information, these sentences, these propositions, the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him, pointing to his death. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet they desired that Pilate, uh, they yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. How that Christ died according to the Scriptures. But God raised him from the dead. He didn't stop there. He went on. God raised him from the dead and when he, had, and when he was seen... Many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Isn't that what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15? Yes. These are gospel truths. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 37, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He wasn't bothered to tell men that Jesus died because men are sinners. He said, I'm here to stand before you, brethren, to preach unto you a living, resurrected Savior. And I'm preaching this unto you for the forgiveness of sin. This is what Christ commissioned in Luke 24. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things 
from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He preaches the doctrine of justification because that is what the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. The justification of sinners by faith in the Lord Jesus. He didn't mention the word repentance here. And yet, if you go to Acts 17, in verse 23, Paul says to the uh, there in the midst of Mars Hill, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. God that hath made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now move over to verse 27. After speaking about the sovereignty of God, he says that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Now look, verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. He didn't mention the word grace. But did Paul preach the doctrine of grace? Yes. He didn't mention the word believe here. And he didn't mention the word repentance. In chapter 13. In other words, they take the truths and apply them in the circumstances where they are as the Spirit leads and judging who it is that they're talking to. And then he goes on and speaks to them more. It says, Then when they heard of the resurrection, some mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again. We'll let you talk one more time. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe. They believe. And there isn't a word about believing in there. Brethren, we must take the the, the gospel truths and set them before men. We become unbalanced if we simply take one spot here or one spot there and make that the model for every time we open our mouths. Paul spoke one way to the Jews. He spoke another way to the Gentiles. Never contradicting, never contradicting, but always getting to the heart of a resurrected Savior. And here we see that men clave unto him and believe. Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. He didn't give us all there was in a gospel declaration in 1 Corinthians 15 nor in Acts 17 nor in Acts 13, but we see the truths. And if you will read the Gospels and the Acts over and over, you will see that pattern, not a canned message. Let us take these to a lost and dying world, telling them the good news of a living Savior, 
and calling them to repent, to believe on Him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.